Out front next, live from Grandview University in Des Moines, Iowa, where Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are about to take the stage in back-to-back -back CNN town halls. Will they go after Trump head on? Plus new documents tonight revealing Trump made millions of dollars from the Chinese while he was president. And there is so much more from other countries. Did it influence Trump as president? And Daron Asher, Hamas hostage held for 50 days along with her two toddlers. A family out front has covered since the day they were taken. She's speaking out in her first international interview. Let's go out front live from Iowa. And good evening. I'm Erin Burnett. Welcome to a special edition of Outfront Live from Des Moines, Iowa, where the stage is set for CNN's back-to-back -back town halls here at Grandview University. In just a few moments, the auditorium behind me will be filled with Iowans who say they plan to vote in the Republican caucuses. Now, many have not made up their minds, so these last days matter. I'll be moderating the town hall with Nikki Haley at 10 o'clock Eastern, just after Caitlin Collins' conversation with Ron DeSantis, and that is at 9. It is an important night. Just 11 days until those Iowa caucuses. And tonight is one of the last chances for Haley and DeSantis to state their case to voters here and nationwide. And just about 35 miles northwest of where we are tonight, there is news of another mass shooting at another American school. Four students and an administrator injured, a sixth grader killed, killed right after going back to school in the new year. According to police, the gunman was a high school student who died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Nikki Haley posting, my heart aches for the victims of Perry, Iowa, and the entire community. Ron DeSantis saying the United States has a responsibility to create safe environments, but that it's a local and state issue. Local and state issue. Now, for Haley and DeSantis, the race in Iowa in these final days could not be more important and closer. The latest Des Moines Register poll has Haley and DeSantis locked in a dead heat. But that is a dead heat for second, because looming over the Iowa caucuses is former President Trump, by far the frontrunner, a commanding lead in this state, right now up by more than 30 points, according to the most recent poll in December. And yet, as we've seen throughout this race, Haley and DeSantis are spending more time actually taking on each other, the fire between them than the frontrunner, who is on track to win the first big presidential contest. And as for Trump himself, he is focusing his attention tonight on New Hampshire and on his former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley. His campaign is actually now up with its first television ad in the Granite State. Take a look. Yet Haley and Biden oppose Trump's border wall, confirm warnings of terrorists sneaking in through our southern border. Yet Haley joined Biden in opposing Trump's visitor ban from terrorist nations. Haley's camp responding, uh, saying, quote, Donald Trump must be seeing the same polls we're seeing and he's running scared. This is a two person race between Nikki and Trump. Well, we have a lot to get to tonight. I want to begin, though, here with Jeff Zeleny joining me uh, live here uh, in Des Moines. So, Jeff, uh, you have spent a an extraordinary amount of time uh, in the state. And now here we are in the final days. People's got to make up their decision. So what are you hearing from the voters who have not made up their minds yet? Well, Aaron, surprisingly, there are a lot of voters who have not made up their minds. For some, it's because they truly can't choose. Others are just <laughs> tuning in right now, just paying attention after the holidays. You hear questions about electability. You hear concerns about specific policy issues. But... Uh, as these candidates try and make their cases, we hear a lot of voters trying to weigh between DeSantis and Haley. That's why huh. tonight's town hall is so important. But as they make their case to voters, looming large over all of this is what they're actually saying about Donald Trump. Well, I mean, first of all, he won't debate. I mean, like, how by, I, I mean, like, I, he's not willing to get on a stage. He's not willing to answer questions. Chaos follows him. And we can't be a country in disarray and have a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. 
Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are talking a lot about Donald Trump. I think right now we need a commander in chief, a general to lead us to victory who has not yet been wounded in that war. Somebody with fresh legs to lead us forward to the next generation. And if we don't get slippery, slick politicians out of the way and take out Donald Trump directly, we'll lose that fight. Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie are two. The former president hangs over the Republican primary in most every way. Hello, Iowa. I'm thrilled to be back with so many proud, hardworking patriots in the heartland. Just 11 days before voters in Iowa render the first judgments of the GOP contest. For his rivals, one of the biggest balancing acts on the campaign trail is how much to talk about Trump and just how to do it without alienating Republican voters they're still trying to win over. Trump is eyeing more than an Iowa victory. He's looking for a decisive one. We gotta be sure that we put this thing away. The poll numbers are scary because we're leading by so much. The key is you have to get out and vote. As he heads back to Iowa on Friday for a weekend campaign swing, advisors tell CNN that complacency among supporters poses more of a challenge than any of his rivals. We can put this to bed after Iowa, if you want to know the truth. We can put it to bed for them, too. They can go home and forget it. But you have to go out. Happy New Year! With time running short to make his case, DeSantis has been sharpening his argument on electability. I don't think Donald Trump ultimately can win an election. And relentlessly reminding Republicans what Trump failed to accomplish. And I have said with Trump, he's running on the same issues that he ran on in 2016 and didn't deliver on. Border wall with Mexico paying for it, deporting illegal aliens, draining the swamp. Haley bluntly blames Trump for his share in building the nation's record high debt. Everybody talks about how good the economy was under Trump, and it was good, right? But at what cost? He put us $8 trillion in debt just in four years. Our kids will never forgive us for that. The question is whether any of this will whittle away Trump's support in Iowa. I have voted for Trump in, in the past. Rick Beatty said he misses many of Trump's policies, but little more. There's a lot of times I wish he would change his language. Um, I don't think it would stir up as much uh, controversy, you know, but um, that's, that's his uh, personality, the way he is. And uh, I think that's probably something we just have to live with. So there is no doubt that Trump does loom very large over this race, Aaron, but it's important to point out there are many Republicans who are shopping and who are interested in turning the page. That doesn't mean yeah. that they don't like Donald Trump necessarily, but they are ready to move on from all the drama. The question is, what is that balance here layered on right. top of all this is organization. That's what wins the Iowa caucuses here. So the next 12 right. days... That's what's important. If they're looking to move on, to your point, if they're not doing it out of disgust or disdain, right, they're doing it out of, you know, maybe it's time. It's very different in terms right. of what your rival's messages should be. And that's the crucial question. So, Jeff, stay with me. I want to bring in Amy Walter now into the conversation, the publisher and editor-in-chief uh, of the Cook Political Report. So, Amy, great to have you back. I mean, from what you're seeing and hearing, and, you know, you're seeing, seeing this reporting as well, who do you think has the momentum on the ground right now in Iowa? Because it is going to set the tone for the whole country. Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis? Yeah, you know, I think these events that 
you all are hosting both the town hall tonight and then the debate uh, next week are also going to give us some clues uh, in terms of which one seems the most confident, which one is able to really get the blows in on her opponent or get some, uh, you know, attention through these last few um, televised events. But honestly, I think that it's really now up to Ron DeSantis. He is the one who has put everything on the line for Iowa and anything other than a second place finish is going to be a huge problem. And and the second place finish, okay, so uh, he touts every chance, Ron DeSantis does, that he's gone to all 99 counties. I mean, I was just watching him in his little vest and remembering back in the day, remember Rick Santorum and the vest and it went viral and going to all 99 counties. And uh, so, but, but yet there's no poll. There's nothing that shows him even close. Is a surprise possible? Is, could everything be that wrong? Iowa has a history of surprises. So, yes. And the polls are taken a while ago uh, before the holidays. So at this point, I think, like, let's throw the polls out and listen to what the voters are saying. But it is you do sense momentum here. And it's not necessarily on the DeSantis side as much as Haley. But organization, again, matters so tremendously here. So I think Amy's right. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that Governor DeSantis has more at stake here in Iowa. He's invested more, really, for the better part of a year. So yes, the burden is on him. But that's why these events are important. And boy, he's closing this campaign in a far different place. He's doing every interview he can do, talking to every voter, and really (laughs) campaigning aggressively. He's doing this town hall. So we shall see. And, and Amy, do you yeah. notice that change? Is that change having an impact when you actually look at what people think or, or your confidence in our, our read of what people think? Um, you know, and Jeff knows this very well, too. The Des Moines Register poll usually comes out the weekend before the caucuses. That is the expectation center. Where we see movement, unfortunately, may not be for a little while longer. Obviously, we got another week or so before we get through the last week of campaigning here. But if it shows that Trump is as far ahead as all the earlier polling has shown, then it's really now a question of whether or not the second place candidate is Haley or is DeSantis, and whether that is enough to bring Haley into a, you know, with a, with a big steam behind her, head of steam behind her into New Hampshire. I think there's also um, something else really important to appreciate about, you know, this this moment in, uh, in Iowa, which is the fact that, um, you know, you said earlier, these candidates, they're only now coming out against President Trump sort of addressing him directly. But remember, we've had over two years now since the January 6th event, the the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Republicans leadership, whether it's in Congress or anywhere else, have really uh, done pretty much everything to not talk about it. The president was acquitted in the Senate. Only a handful of Republicans uh, voted to impeach Uh, the president over these actions. And of course, they did not participate in the January 6th investigations and the commission. So it's very hard for these candidates now, three years on, to suddenly be telling Republican candidates this matter when their leadership in Washington has been telling them for years that it's not important and that it's not a real issue. Yeah, this is, it puts them in a 
a difficult situation as they try to court that base or tort those viewers, as Jeff said, some of whom are ready to move on, but not doing so with disgust uh, over those issues. All right, Amy, thank you very much. And our Jeff Zeleny, thank you. Bob Vanderplatz is with me now here in Des Moines. And anybody who watches anything about politics, <laughs> our show over the years, great to be with you, Bob. I uh, know you, right? Major evangelical leader here, CEO of the fam uh, Conservative Family Leader Organization. And I, I should note, you've endorsed Ron DeSantis. So in this whole conversation, in that context, um, will you be happy if Ron DeSantis is number two? Well, I think what it is, this is an expectation game now. I mean, Trump's got the expectation he needs to score in the mid-50s. He needs to dominate this. He's telling his caucus goers, we're going to dominate this. We're going to put it to bed. Nikki Haley, the governor of Sununu, is now saying she's going to take second place. So that's her expectation. I really believe Governor uh -huh. DeSantis is going to have a great night on Monday night, January 15th. Yeah. I think he'll beat the expectations, and it does become an expectation game. Okay. Now, now to this point, I guess you're going to say it all sets, and, you know, Amy's talking sure. about that poll that comes out, the Des Moines Register poll everyone yeah. talks about. Now, what is second? If Trump comes in at, you know, 50, 50 if it comes in near the expectation, if Ron DeSantis isn't close, if it's a blowout, but he's second, is that it? Well, I don't know if that's it. First of all, I, do, I don't believe the polls. And I think Amy would know I'm going to say that as well, that I don't believe <clears> the polls. Everything, even I, in your own state, the Des Moines Register. I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, just to absolutely not. As a matter of fact, uh, Why don't you have the, the, the Sunday before yeah. the caucus of 2016, yeah, Trump was supposed to beat Cruz by five. Cruz beat Trump by four. That's a nine point swing. Yes, it's an organization exercise in the state of Iowa, and nobody hmm. has been organizing Iowa like DeSantis. So, Cruz had the best organization by far in 2016 that I've ever seen. DeSantis is light years ahead of Cruz with his organization. So if his organization hmm. turns out on caucus night, he'll defy and may shock the nation. And, may sh and that obviously can have a huge impact. We all, we all know mm -hmm. that. Now, um, DeSantis has gotten a lot of criticism from voters. There's some voters at town halls in Iowa that were criticizing him, saying, you got to go after Trump. What is wrong with you? Why are you not doing that? Now, we have seen some of that from both DeSantis and Haley, but not very much. And certainly when you mm -hmm. look at where they're spending their political money, it's all been going after each other as opposed to uh, Trump. So I want to just play one of these voters who talked to Jeff Zeleny. He said, all right, I'm, I'm frustrated with DeSantis. He's still going to vote for him, but I want to play what he said. I think he needs to go after Trump, and I don't see him doing it. So um, I, I don't know that uh, he's going to be able to pull this off unless he goes after Trump. He's going after Nikki Haley quite a bit and adds. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's fine, but Nikki Haley isn't the leader. You know, Donald Trump is. So... That's that's where it needs to be. Is he right? Is it time to just go and go for the go for the person in front? I guess I've been around Ron DeSantis a long time, and he's the most accomplished person I've seen in a long time, ready to be president. And I think he takes on Trump. I think he draws the distinctions between him and Trump, what would make him a better candidate, one that could win and lead on day one. But he also knows this is a tough needle to thread. You cannot alienate the Trump supporters, the Trump voters. And I think what he's doing, he's making the case of, hmm. listen, by electing me, you're going to get all the good of Donald Trump without all of the bad. And you're going to get somebody who can win and lead on day one and for two terms. And, 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 and I, I got I, venom is too strong of a word. But is it smart to save your venom and not direct it at the person in front? Uh, so if you're I, not going to criticize that person strongly, then yeah. why would people not vote for that person? Well, first of all, I think Ron DeSantis believes, listen, I'll stand on my own credentials. Look at my record as governor of Florida. Look what I've done. I just didn't say I'd do it. I actually did it. Mm. And that's why people like Governor Reynolds so much. And he got the historic endorsement of, of Governor Reynolds. Very popular governor uh, here. To Governor DeSantis. I think it's going to mean a lot. 
So I think DeSantis knows I can win this without playing the game of just disparaging hmm. the front runner. All right. So Trump, meantime, has put up an ad and his ad uh, in New Hampshire, where he's now focused, his first ad came out and it is targeting. Well, let me show you. Sure. Haley joined Biden in opposing Trump's visitor ban from terrorist nations. Haley's weakness puts us in grave danger. Trump's strength protects us. Sometimes you like to be the target of an ad because it shows someone is afraid of you or takes you seriously. Mm -hmm. His only ad, it is 100% about Nikki Haley, not about Ron DeSantis. That's in New Hampshire. Yeah. You take a look at Iowa. I think $36 million right now has been spent against Ron DeSantis. They know who the real opponent is. Nikki Haley knows who the real opponent is. So does uh, Donald Trump. That's why I think DeSantis, again, I think he is set up for a really good night on Monday the 15th. All right. Well, we shall see. And as you say, so much, <laughs> so much can happen between now and then. And so many people who will be with us tonight say they are still undecided. Bob, thank you very thank much. You. And please don't miss our back-to-back -back town halls tonight. It all starts at 9 o'clock Eastern right here in Des Moines. And meantime, next, Iranian-backed groups targeting more ships near American troops. As a senior administration official says the U.S. would not hesitate to use lethal force and self-defense. The real question tonight is how big could this war get? Is America on the brink of something big and terrifying? Plus, Trump making millions from the Chinese while he was president. And that may just be the tip of the iceberg. There are new details ahead this hour. And breaking news, another round of documents connected to the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein have just been released. Again, going through them this hour, new information coming out. We'll see some new names. We'll be back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight on the verge of all-out war, tension across the Middle East escalating this hour. The Iranian-backed Houthi militant group launching a fresh attack in the Red Sea. Again, and in Iraq, a U.S. drone strike today, killing a commander of a pro-Iranian militia in Baghdad. A defense official telling CNN the Iranian proxy group had, quote, U.S. blood on its hands. Well, this comes as ISIS is now wading into the fray, claiming responsibility for the two powerful suicide bombs that killed more than 80 people in Iran yesterday. Uh, Iran had initially blamed Israel for the worst death toll in Iran since the Iranian Revolution and vowed retaliation. Warren Lieberman is out front more on this widening and escalating war. A U.S. strike in Iraq, second in little more than a week, killing the commander of a pro-Iran militia, Harakat al-Nujabi, one U.S. official saying the target, known as Abu Taqwa, had U.S. blood on his hands. Abu Taqwa is actively involved in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel. 
The attack comes amid fears of an escalation in the Middle East, far beyond the borders of the Gaza Strip, where the war between Israel and Hamas is nearing the three-month mark. The U.S. has tried to separate the war in Gaza from the rest of the region, but the fighting has burst through political borders. An Israeli strike in Beirut killed Salah al-Aruri, one of Hamas's top leaders. Lebanese officials warning the attack threatens to spark a wider conflict in a region already on edge. U.S. forces have come under attack approximately 118 times in Iraq and Syria since mid-October. Hezbollah in Lebanon has launched repeated missile and drone strikes on Israel, a key U.S. ally in the Middle East. And the Houthis in Yemen have fired on international shipping lanes in the Red Sea, with calls growing for a U.S. response. We don't telegraph our punches one way or another, but uh, we take these attacks very, very seriously. The impact that they're having uh, on international commerce and, uh, and free shipping, uh, and we're going to keep doing what we need to do to protect their interests. The common thread here is Iran, which backs these groups. With U.S. Navy forces in the eastern Mediterranean Sea and in the Red Sea to protect international shipping lanes, the U.S. has tried to send a message of deterrence, carrying out strikes in Iraq and Syria. But the attacks across the region have persisted, the Pentagon once again laying out an open-ended threat of force. We maintain the inherent right of self-defense and will continue to take necessary actions to protect our personnel. But in a region where one conflict is already raging, U.S. officials are grappling with how to respond to widespread attacks by Iranian proxies without sparking a broader war in the Middle East. And Oren, Iran clearly growing bolder, right? Regional proxies now really upping the ante. But even as this has happened, we keep seeing closer and closer ties between Iran and Putin and Russia. So... How tight is that alliance right now? Uh, they're already very close, and that relationship keeps advancing. A U.S. official telling CNN, it appears that Iran is ready to sell ballistic missiles to Russia. Iran has already uh, sold the Shahed drones that we've seen used to devastating effect in Ukraine, now adding another capability. It's not a new tech necessarily for Russia or a new type of weapon. It simply adds to the devastating weapons they already have. As we're past, uh, or nearing, I should say, the two-year mark, on the war in Ukraine. It simply gives Russia more ammo as these two countries, Russia and Iran, in many ways, uh, pariah states isolated from the West, grow even closer to each other and essentially find common ground in weapons and elsewhere. Yeah, weapons production. All right. Thank you very much. Oren Lieberman with all that reporting tonight from the Pentagon. And next, a new report revealing millions of dollars from foreign governments flowed to Trump during his presidency. The number one spender was China and a congresswoman who's investigating the ties, and they go to so many other countries. Crucial in a presidential election is out front. Plus, breaking news, we've got more documents just coming out. These are all related to the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, more information, uh, more names, all of this just being released uh, in these past few moments. We're gonna tell you who's being named tonight. That's coming up, we'll be right back. Tonight, new documents showing Trump's businesses brought in more than $5 million from the Chinese government while he was president. That is the largest known sum by a foreign country spent at Trump's properties in that time. And it was uncovered by the House Oversight Committee Democrats who've been digging into Trump's businesses since 2016. So this investigation has been going on for, for a while. All other U.S. presidents in modern history sold off their assets or put them into blind trust, blind trust. Trump did not do either one of those things. So that meant that, you know, he knew what was happening and he was able to still profit with very little transparency, which raises crucial questions about whether foreign governments tried to influence Trump through his companies, whether they've successfully done so, whether they continue to do so, especially after Trump publicly said during the 2016 campaign 
that he favored the countries that paid him millions. Here he is. Saudi Arabia, and I get along great with all of them. They buy apartments from me, they spend 40 million, 50 million. Am I supposed to dislike them? I like them very much. <laughs> Same with China. I have so many people, they pay me millions and millions. What, am I supposed to hate China because they gave me millions of dollars to buy an apartment? I don't think so. Up front now, Democratic Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. She's a member of the House Oversight Committee, which, of course, released this report, has been looking into this. So, Congresswoman, I appreciate your time. Now, you found the Chinese government spent more than five and a half million dollars at Trump's properties while he was in office. OK, so you've, you've put those numbers out there. You've listed. I hope people will see the whole report. The question, though, is were you able to tie that money to any actions he took as president? Well, we don't know, Aaron. And I want to be clear that the $5.5 million that was discovered is a very conservative estimate. I know that in your opening, you talked about the fact that this is an investigation that started seven years ago. But just so that the American people understand, while it started seven years ago, Trump was fighting it every step of the way. He was fighting every single um, type of disclosure. He wasn't complying with the Oversight Committee and he was fighting in court. So it wasn't until September of 22 that we actually started receiving documents. And as soon as January 2023 hit and Comer became the chair, Comer shut it down. Right. So it, 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 and fair to point out all, all those hurdles and, and speed bumps, to say the least, that you faced. But what you did find, Congresswoman, was 20 countries, uh, according to the report, that paid a total of $7.8 million to Trump's businesses uh, during this time. Now, when you went through some of the top spenders, number two behind China was Saudi Arabia. And, and I found this one very important because uh, you found $615,000 spent by the Saudis at Trump properties. Um, your report, of course, does cover only two years of his presidency and only four of the more than 500 entities Trump owned while in office, Absolutely. right? And I'm not saying that to, 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 to diminish your report. I'm saying it merely to point out that you're looking at, with a bright light, a very small place. Do you think Absolutely. the Saudis, for example, actually spent a whole lot more than you were able to uncover? Oh, absolutely. And obviously, we've talked about the arms deal that took place around this time. You know, it's important. And, and honestly, Aaron, we don't know what, if any, money was spent by Russia as well right now at a crucial time in which Republicans refuse to help out the Ukrainians. Mm. And so the thing is, we needed the full um, report. We needed the full documentation. And with Comer basically deciding that he was going to obstruct and say, no, no need to comply. And now we have the former president's son saying, well, it's okay because he owned hotels. No, it's not okay. Not when you're the president of the United States and you don't go through Congress and get permission. So to be clear, yeah. if everything was on the up and up, then you just go to Congress and Congress gives you permission or not. But unlike Every other president with Trump, he wants to decide that he's going to skip over the Constitution, skip over the rule of law and do whatever he wants to do instead of honoring those things. And they absolutely present a danger to us in this country. And as far as I'm concerned, our allies abroad as well. So, Congresswoman, you know, we had done a documentary and I looked deeply into the relationship between Trump and the Saudis, just one part. You know, and you were looking at entire hotels that they would rent out always same time every year, one of his I spoke to the then Attorney General of Washington, D.C., Carl Racine. He had sued Trump in 2017, claiming Trump violated the Constitution by maintaining a stake in that Washington hotel. And I just wanted to play part of an exchange for you. When you ask them exactly why they're staying at the Trump Hotel, they're very clear. They tell you that they're here to show the president honor 
And of course, we know they're here also to act in their country's best interest. Honor, that's the Honor. word they use? Yes, they're here to curry favor. And Congresswoman Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was obviously instrumental, central in the Trump White House, has now reportedly raised at least $3.1 billion for a private equity fund since he left the White House. The, Stephen Ratner, one of the top investors uh, out there, has done an analysis uh, pointing out two-thirds of that came from Saudi Arabia. Two-thirds. I mean, that is, that is just very unusual for a fund. Did you find any evidence of wrongdoing by the Trump White House when it came to the Saudis? So we, we don't know for sure. Aaron, we don't. And, and I do want to point out, and I'm glad that you played that piece, because the emoluments clause has always been a concern since Trump entered office and refused to divest himself of his interest. And so it was one of those things that anyone who was blind could see that this could potentially be a problem. And that's exactly why ranking member Elijah Cummings decided that it was important to start this investigation. But when we compare and contrast, because I know that people want to compare and contrast the fact that we're dealing with the impeachment inquiry right now and oversight. I do want to point out that no one wanted to jump the gun. We absolutely wanted to make sure that no one accused the president of wrongdoing specifically unless they had the goods, unless they had the receipts. And that's exactly what we were starting to get. And Aaron, this report only reveals only over $7 million, and we don't have the full view of it. And th these are all conservative estimates. Yeah. We don't have everything that we need, even yeah. of what we did give. And so I, I do want people to understand that there's one party that's playing partisan politics and another party that is simply trying to get to the truth and make sure that we... Uh, that we are going to preserve democracy here and make sure that everyone who wants to enter yeah. the White House plays by the same rules as any other president. And well, important, as you point out, right, uh, you're looking at a, a very short window of time and very few, very, very small percentage of his properties that you're looking at. And this is what you were able to find. All right, Congressman, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. And breaking news, a second round of documents has just come out. Uh, this is convicted, uh, connected to the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, as we said, this is going to be coming out over days, and we've just gotten a massive one been going through it. We are learning more about the names uh, in the documents and the process that Epstein used to recruit dozens of girls uh, that then interacted with, to use that word, to apply to many influential and famous men. And the wife of Yoni Asher, whose story we've been following since the October 7th attack, speaks out, sharing new details about what she endured in nearly 50 days in Hamas captivity. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, a second Jeffrey Epstein document dump just came in. So in it, a detective laying out a process. He says that Epstein used to find and recruit girls. And this comes as we have some new and sort of details in here emerging about Epstein and his powerful associates, more and more of whom are being named. One of the more notable names, of course, is former President Bill Clinton. Epstein once telling a witness that Clinton, quote, likes them young. 
Other names in those documents so far, Donald Trump and Britain's Prince Andrew is mentioned, of course, repeatedly. I want to go straight to Jean Cassara. She's been poring over the more than 900 pages released so far. I mean, Jean, it's an incredible amount of information. 19 newly unsealed documents just in this past hour that you've been starting to go through. What are you able to tell us so far? Well, first of all, I've been, I've been looking at them, and, and a lot of them are 70 pages each. So this is a lot of information, and we have a group of people. We are all yeah. looking at them right now. Now, but here's something that we can tell you that was just unsealed. Uh, Palm Beach, Florida detective told authorities at the time and laid out the process that Epstein and Maxwell used to recruit young girls. And then the question was asked of him, how many would you say were recruited? His response, 30, 30, maybe 33. The documents continue to be revealed. A new window tonight into the complicated company kept by the late sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein. It really so far paints a picture of what the girls and young women were experiencing and uh, it was quite horrific. Newly unsealed court documents include the names of several prominent figures. Many who had previously been linked to Epstein, like former presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, were named in the filings, though the two, like many others, were not accused of wrongdoing. Epstein, a wealthy financier, died by suicide in jail in 2019 while awaiting trial on federal sex trafficking charges involving underage girls in Florida and New York. The documents stem from a 2015 civil defamation lawsuit filed by one of his accusers, Virginia Roberts Jufre, against Epstein's former confidant, Ghislaine Maxwell. The unsealed filings also contain a 2016 deposition from one of Epstein's alleged victims, Joanna Schoberg. Much of this information was her firsthand accounts of what she had seen, observed, and heard in her dealings with Epstein. Schoberg recalled that Epstein spoke to her about Bill Clinton. Quote, he said one time that Clinton liked them young, referring to girls. When asked if Clinton was a friend of Epstein, she said she understood Epstein had dealings with Clinton. Clinton has not been accused of any crimes or wrongdoing related to Epstein. His spokesman on Wednesday reiterated that Clinton knew nothing of Epstein's crimes and told CNN that it has now, quote, been nearly 20 years since President Clinton last had contact with Epstein. In her deposition, Schoberg also recalled a time she was with Epstein on one of his planes, and pilots said he needed to land in Atlantic City. Quote, Jeffrey said, great, we'll call up Trump and we'll go to, I don't recall the name of the casino, but we'll go to the casino. Schoberg said in her deposition she never gave a massage to Trump. He is not accused of wrongdoing related to Epstein. The Trump campaign responded to a request for comment by attacking the media. The documents also contain excerpts of depositions taken from Virginia Roberts Jufre and Maxwell. Jufre alleged in her deposition that Maxwell directed her to have sexual contact with people, including Prince Andrew. She previously reached an out-of-court settlement in her sexual assault lawsuit against him. Andrew has denied all the allegations. Also a part of the new releases, Maxwell's exchange with one victim's attorneys. There was one exchange in which Macaulay asked Maxwell, did you ever tell anyone that you recruited girls in order to take pressure off yourself? And Maxwell retorted, you don't ask me questions like that. 
Attorneys for Ghislaine Maxwell said in a statement on Wednesday, quote, she has consistently and vehemently maintained her innocence. She is currently appealing a 20-year prison sentence following her 2021 conviction on five counts, including sex trafficking of a minor. Names are not being released. We do have some documents that say that a victim was ordered to have relations with an unnamed prince, an owner of a very large hotel chain, and then an unnamed individual. So not everyone is being revealed by the court at this point. Not yet. And of course, the question is, will we find out those names and why they are still being redacted even amidst this improvement in transparency that we've seen. All right, Jean, thank you very much. Next, the wife of Yoni Asher. We've been uh, covering this family's story from October 7th. Speaks out front for the first time since she was freed from captivity. And we are also just over an hour from the start of CNN's town halls with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. We'll be right back. Tonight, quote, they absolutely put on a show. So those are the words of Daron Asher. She was talking about her Hamas captors in her first international interview. The Asher family story is one that we, of course, have been following so closely. Daron Asher held along with her two small girls for 50 days. You've all you know, met virtually her husband, Yoni Asher, sharing his anguish so many times on the show while his family was missing. He thought at one point, wasn't sure he'd ever see his little girls when I was with him in Israel. And tonight, his wife, Daron, telling her story. Diana Goladriga is out front this hour from Tel Aviv. They absolutely put on a show to dress me up in nice clothes and shoes before I was released when my girls and I were barefoot for 50 days and we were cold because we were wearing short sleeves in November. It's one big show. Doron Asher opening up and revealing what really happened to her and her two young daughters while held captive by Hamas for nearly 50 days. Once you got into Gaza, what happened? We got into our hiding place, an apartment that belonged to a family. We were inside the room without the ability to get out, of course, closed door, closed window. And after 16 days, they relocated us to another place, a so-called hospital. Did anyone tell you what was going on, why you were there? Were they members of Hamas? They didn't give us a lot of information. They mainly tried to say that Hamas wants to release us, but in Israel no one cares about us, which wasn't true. We didn't believe most of the stuff that they were saying. And of course, it wasn't true. Just over the border in Israel, Daron's husband Yoni never gave up hope. We are begging for your help. My babies, Raz and Aviv, doesn't have much time. I got to see how hell looks like I don't know if there are any more tears left in me. Why is his daddy is not coming? I'm afraid that they will forget me. I'm afraid that they will, won't recognize me. The stuff that they've seen on October 7th, I couldn't hide from them. It's like we were in a war movie. But after that, it was very important to me that they wouldn't feel danger. And I told them there are no terrorists anymore. And we are with good people who are guarding us until we can return home. Were they good to you? The people? They didn't physically harm me, but there was a lot of psychological warfare. Like what? That we won't return to live in the kibbutz because it's not our house, it's not the place where we belong. Did you know if they were Hamas or 
They didn't give me a lot of info about them. I don't even know their names. I guess that the father is with Hamas, but they didn't even give me much info. I just know he worked in Israel in the past, and that's how he knows Hebrew, and that's how we communicated. Were there other children there? Ken? Yes, he had children and grandchildren, and basically his children were watching us 24-7. I asked every day about my family, if they knew anything about Gadi, about my brother, about my brother's baby girl. They didn't give me any answers. Why do you think they moved you after 16 days? I think they tried to gather hostages together because the day that we arrived to this so-called hospital, other hostages arrived there as well. And that was the first time that I met other hostages. Why do you keep saying so-called hospital? A hospital needs to treat sick people. It doesn't hold hostages. Could you hear the IDF bombing? Did, did you know what was going on? And were you worried that by mistake that... that and you and your girls would have been in danger as Israel was trying to retrieve you? I heard the fighting, and yes, we were scared. The noises were very strong, very loud, but at least that's how we knew that something was going on in order to get us back home, to put the pressure on Hamas to release us. What did you fear the most when you were there? Surprisingly, it was the day that we were released. They were smuggling us out of the hospital, and they got us on a Hamas vehicle to get to a meeting point with the Red Cross. We waited a long time for the Red Cross, and we were very scared because we didn't know what was going on. No one gave us any info. Once the Red Cross vehicles had arrived, thousands of Gazans, thousands, children, elderly, everyone came in and started to climb on the cars and bang on the cars. I was holding my girls, and I was scared of a lynch mob. And this was the first time that Raz has said to me after a month and a half of me protecting her, Mommy, I'm scared. Today, the girls are back in kindergarten and with family therapy, for the most part, are readjusting well. There was one day that they saw a tractor here and they asked if the evil men are here. And I had to tell them, no, the tractor doesn't belong to the evil men. The evil men are in jail. And while they mourn their grandmother... Doron says the healing cannot really begin until all of the remaining hostages are released, including Gadi Moses. The world has to understand the reality that the hostages are in. I don't want to think about how they're treating men there, how they're treating the young women that are there. People who kidnap children and old people are not human. Upon returning home, Doron said the first thing the girls wanted to do was play around in their backyard can imagine how exciting that was for them after nearly 50 days in captivity. Tomorrow, Aviv, the younger of the two girls, is turning three years old. The family plans to celebrate with a small party at home and perhaps a larger one at kindergarten. Erin? What a miracle. All right, Biana, thank you so much, uh, just amidst all of this horror, to, to be able to hear that and that birthday celebration. Well, next, the auditorium is filling up behind me as we count down to the start of CNN's town halls. We'll be right back. CNN's back-to-back -back presidential Republican town halls begin one hour from now, live in Des Moines. Ron DeSantis is up first, followed by Nikki Haley. Stay with us. AC360 begins now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.